0: Good morning, church family. While we're worshiping with our offering, we want to allow our children ages 3 through 3rd grade to go to junior worship. And if you were in the Life's Healing Choices, Baruch and Bob's class, and you left a iPad there, you can come and get it now. Or I will just thank you. Oh, it's yours, Levi. Come and get it. (laughs) Or you can pick it up from me afterwards, I'll be carrying it with me into my office. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. We have a taker. How do I know it's yours? (laughs) Yeah, I don't believe Levi, but I believe John. (laughs) Matthew 5, beautiful words. This is like the seventh time we've heard these words. Verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. of heaven, and our verse for today is verse nine: "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God." So, in September of, of nineteen thirty-eight, some of us remember that day, year, month. Leaders of four European countries came together and they signed what was known of as the the Munich Peace Agreement. It was Adolf Hitler of Germany, the Chancellor. It was the Prime Minister. Neville Chamberlain of uh, Great Britain and Edouard Ladier, however you pronounce his name, of France, and Benito Mussolini of of Italy. And so the concern there was was to try to avert the looming threat of war. Obviously, that was being threatened by Adolf Hitler and in Hitler's expansionist dreams and visions, he was demanding the annexation and the Takeover of a larger portion of the country known of as Czechoslovakia And he was wanting what was known of as the Sudetenland This is an area that bordered Germany of Czechoslovakia And this is the area where Karen and I served and lived for so many years And the fear among these European leaders is if they didn't give Hitler this land Well he would get upset more and go to war and so they came together in Munich without any, without any representatives of Czechoslovakia there invited at all and they came to an agreement to give Hitler what he wanted, the Sudetenland of Czechoslovakia without the Czech people having a say at all. After the agreement was made, Britain and France contacted Czechoslovakia and they said now you can submit to this agreement or you can face Nazi Germany alone without us. And so the Czechoslovaks understood that would mean national annihilation. So Hitler took the Sudeten land, but he promised he was done taking land and he promised not to go to war. And so the four European statesmen, they came home proclaiming victory we uh, we avoided war, and and many of you who know history well know the famous arrival of, of Prime Minister of the Great Britain, uh, Chamberlain, who came home and got off the airplane, and and he was he was hailed as an incredible hero of the hour. You remember his famous words: "We have made peace in our lifetime." But do you know history? There was there was no peace. We may call these individuals peacekeepers, achieving a sense of peace through appeasement, but they were not peacemakers. During the days of the prophet Jeremiah, we read in the Bible that the, the people of Jerusalem and Judea were, there was a threat, a threat of national, political, and religious downfall due to their, their sin and their disobedience and their rebellion and their idolatry. These were God's people. And so Jeremiah, prophet of God, stood up and he spoke out and he warned the people of this destruction and he called the people to repent of their sins and turn back to God to avoid this destruction. But the people weren't comfortable, if you know this story with Jeremiah's words, I mean, who wants to talk about our sin? And so they, they listened to the False prophets and priests of their day, of whom Jeremiah wrote these words They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Instead of facing the sin in their lives and sin in their nations, they dressed the wound. They put a band-aid over it and they swept under the rug that which they needed to face and they pretended like it didn't exist. And if you know history, it led to their downfall. We may call the prophets and priests of Jeremiah's day peacekeepers, achieving a false sense of peace by saying everything's fine when it wasn't, by sweeping things under the rug and ignoring them, but they were not peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So our series of lessons that we're having this fall in the Beatitudes, it's intentional, it is, it's a part of a, a dream and a vision and a looking to God and seeing God, it's this direction you're leading to in, in, a, in a ministry of recovery, a ministry of, of reaching out to and touching and, and bringing hope and healing and recovery and redemption to, to those whose lives are like mine and yours in our church, in our community who are, who are messed up and bondage to hurts and habits and addictions and... Unhealthy behavior and sinful activity And as we're looking in this direction in the Beatitudes to help us Set a vision for this ministry As we've seen with each of these Beatitudes It's true with this one It just cuts straight, straight deep into the core of This is what's at play At the root cause of so many of our life problems It's a lack of of true peace Anxiety, worry, and stress are killing us, literally. Even our young people. I read in the paper, it's like every week, again, I read in the paper of an article describing the high rate of suicide in El Paso County and in the state of Colorado among kids in our high schools, in our middle schools, And the primary concern, the primary root cause they identify as anxiety and stress. And it pains me to think that young people in high school, in middle school, are filled with such anxiety and stress that they're considering or already have taken their own lives. I received a text message from someone concerned from their spouse whom they said is blowing up in anger and just not sleeping well at all. And it's because of anxiety. No peace. Do any of these words describe you at all? Irritability? Unkind words, criticism, complaining, fighting, arguing, overeating, undereating, any level of addictions with whatever it might be, whether alcohol, drugs, porn, yelling. Domestic violence, crime, fits of rage, all of these things, so many of these flowing from from raging storms on the inside of, of stress and worry and anxiety. Oh, we we need this beatitude. I love the words. I love the word. The, the original word that's used for, for peace here is a Greek word, Irene, from which we get my grandmother's name, Irene. Its it's um, word companion word is, is, is to the popular Hebrew word ex- expression that is shalom, which means A comprehensive well-being and and health and wholeness in every direction, in every relationship. I love these two beautiful words that often writers use to describe shalom or ireni. They are the words serenity and tranquility. Let me ask you, is your life characterized by tranquility and serenity? I'm not asking is the condition of your life on the outside characterized by tranquility and serenity. I'm talking about the condition of your heart. That's where Jesus is driving us with this beatitude. It's extremely important that we understand with the definition of these terms, it's not talking about everything is just great and trouble-free on the outside. It's talking about an incredible, miraculous peace that is given to us by our faith in Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit on the inside, regardless of of the storms on the outside. This is what, and I don't have time to spend a lot of time on it, but go to John 14 through 16. This is Jesus, his farewell discourse and, and his disciples to his disciples and they're stressed. And he says, don't be, don't let your hearts be troubled. And Jesus drives home, he says, he's trying so much to speak into their hearts, words of peace. And he says to them, in this world, you will have trouble. I just need you to know that, he says. This is an unavoidable reality. And so listen, if you're waiting for life's troubles to be over so that you can finally have peace, you will never have peace. That's almost a bit depressing to say, but it's just a reality of life. Because listen, after whatever you're going through now is over, there will be something else. And so Jesus says, listen, I have told you these things so that in me, not in this world, in me, you may have peace. He earlier spoke these words in four, chapter 14. You should read these three chapters. They're beautiful. My peace, my peace, I give you. I do not give as the world gives. There, there is a peace that's not found in going to church. That's not what we're talking about here, but it's in fully, not partially, in fully trusting and surrendering your life to Jesus and embracing the truths of John 14 through 16 where Jesus tells you, I'm gonna be with you by the, by the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who comes to your side. I'll be with you no matter what. And in spite of life's troubles, you need to know I've overcome it, I have overcome the world. Whatever struggles and troubles and strife and difficulties you are facing, nothing, nothing can thwart my sovereign will for your life, hold on. And so he says to them twice with those truths in mind, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so we looked at that last week with the pure in heart. It's the same word, cardia, hearts, from which we get the, car, get the word cardiology, which, talk, which is talking about not what's going on on the outside, but what's happening on the inside. Jesus said, don't let the stuff around you be chaotic and troubled. You can't help that. But he says, in spite of life's troubles and chaos on the outside, don't be filled with anxiety, worry, and stress on the inside, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Those are the words of the Spirit in Colossians. He doesn't say let peace be inside it. Let it reign and let it rule. And, it, and 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 maybe you're thinking, oh, that's really pretty, Eddie. It sounds so nice. Could you not be honest? It's easier said than done. That is asking and expecting the impossible for my life. It feels that way, doesn't it? This high bar again that he sets. What do you think? He would not tell us not to have anxiety and stress and be filled with peace if it weren't possible? Then, why would he say it if it weren't possible? So so, so now we're going, how? How, 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 do you, how do you find that peace? Well, you look in the Bible and this beatitude, I believe it tells us the answer to that question. First of all, we read in verse nine, the words blessed are the peacemakers. And there we discover that peace is not simply Something, isn't there a song, I feel it all over me? It's not a passive feeling that, that just comes over you. Peace is something that you make. And I would add to that, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, For we read in Galatians chapter five, that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. But it's not something God filled me with. It's God saying, okay, I need you to work with me to make peace. There's an effort involved. I've given these two in your life group, Hebrews 12, four, make every effort to live in peace with everyone, every effort, everyone. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, it's tough. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there is a role, there's an effort. There's something we do not to wait around until it just drops on us. There's something we do to make it happen. So we've got that part out of the first half, the beatitude, and now it's the second half, the beatitude that says, this is how you make it. This is how you make peace. Notice he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's extremely important that we not interpret this to mean that that those who are peacemakers are rewarded with becoming children of God. That identity is established. That's not the point here. The literal translation here really would be better, although I like the inclusion of children of instead of sons of, it's literally sons of. God, which is, is a, it's a very important Hebrew ex- expression because you see, the Hebrew language wasn't rich in adjectives, and so often in order to describe someone, they would say, "The son of that of something." and so we have, for example, in the New Testament. Uh, Barnabas was the son of encouragement. Where normally in English we wouldn't say he's the son of encouragement, we'd say he's an encouraging person. And so a peacemaker is described as a son of God, meaning a godlike person, a godly person, people who were like God. In scripture we see that God is the God of all peace. We see Jesus and his identity given to him. He is the prince of peace as we sing about today. And so With that thought in mind, if he's our model of of peace, we answer the question, how do you make peace, by looking at his example. How did God make peace in Christ? Whatever he did, let's do that, and perhaps we'll find the answer. If you follow the example of God in heaven, he didn't sit up in heaven looking at all of our turmoil and stress, in our lives and in our world and hope for peace. He didn't watch to see if it would happen. He came down and went face to face with those things that rob us of our peace. We know in one chapter earlier in Matthew chapter four that during the days of Jesus' ministry, he lived in Capernaum and Capernaum is this beautiful city on on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And you know, Jesus could have just stayed right there in Capernaum and kept the peace. He could have gone fishing with his disciples, boating, sailboating. He could have just been healing people and helping people there and and teaching comforting and and happy thoughts and just been this become this popular rabbi and teacher whom everyone loved. And not upset the status quo. Just to be his keeper. But keep reading. That's not the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came and he stood face to face with the status quo and he spoke against religious hypocrisy. He spoke against the establishment that had wandered so far from God. He spoke against the, the social injustice of his day, of the mistreatment of the poor and the minorities. And you might think he shouldn't have gone to Jerusalem because that's where trouble was. You want to keep the peace, Jesus? Don't go to Jerusalem. His, his, he was advised, don't go to Jerusalem because that's where your enemies are. But he went there. He went to the temple and he stirred things up. He confronted people. He confronted sin. He confronted the wrong that was going on among the people in the nation and in their lives. And he made them angry to the point that they wanted to kill him. Why didn't he just stay in Capernaum and be a peace keeper? Instead of ignoring, minimizing, and sweeping sin under the rug, he pulled up the rug and he shone his light on it. He called it for what it is and for what it was. And he took it and he carried it to the cross. And in these ways, Jesus made peace and modeled for us what it means to be a peace Maker. At one point, it's quite interesting, Jesus said to his followers, I didn't come to bring peace. You think, well, I thought you said you did, and then now you're saying you didn't. What he meant by that statement, I didn't come to be a peacekeeper. I came to be a peacemaker, to face and do the things that aren't easy and do the hard things that bring true and lasting peace. You see... There, there's a difference, and, and, and perhaps you can define it differently, but this is the way I'm defining it. There's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. We have this, this mistaken idea when I say the word shalom, areini, or I say the word peace. We have this mistaken idea that we've misdefined gentle and meek and mild as just don't be confrontational. Let's avoid offense. Let's avoid conflict. Let's walk away from difficulties. Let's evade the issues. Let's be non-argumentative. We don't want to make people angry. Let's have this false sense of of optimism and living by the phrase, well, it's, it's better just to let sleeping dogs lie. Shh. Don't wake him up. You you don't want to make him angry. Let's just be real careful. And everything will be okay. That's what they did in Munich in 1938. Instead of standing up to and facing what they needed to stand up to and face... They tried to keep the peace and it blew up in their faces because sleeping dogs eventually wake up. Are you a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? So, so in a practical way, I'm going to have to speed up and trust the Holy Spirit is going to to personalize this in your life, in your family. Are you a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? I ask that because there's some of our lives and our families, there's some unhealthy stuff going on in our marriages with our children. But some of us tend to sweep it under the rug and and just, you know, tippy-toe around it or them, to keep the peace. Kind of pretending like everything's okay. And maybe if you pretend long enough, maybe it will be. In the name of not rocking the boat, let me ask you, is there something unhealthy in your family that you're ignoring in your marriage, with your children? Listen, sometimes in order to make peace, you gotta rock the boat or in the church. How does this work, how does this play out in the church? Too often, churches accept and allow the status quo because we don't wanna be confrontational. We don't wanna upset someone or or a segment of people and so all of a sudden the church becomes hostage, is taken hostage in in the name of keeping peace and unity. Is that peace and unity? And so we just have to ask, is any of this at play here? Are there things we need to confront that we're not confronting? And when I say we, then I mean me and I mean you. We have to ask, you have to ask, as a member of this church, is there something I need to address in order to make peace? Sometimes I have people come to me and they complain about the church. They criticize the church. But they're unwilling to say or do anything to help solve the concern. And their answer is I've heard this so many times, well, no one will listen to me anyway. Those are cop out words of a coward who does not love their church family enough to stand up and say and do what needs to be said to make peace in this family. Are you a peacekeeper? Or a peacemaker. In your relationships, oh my, if I had a dollar for every conversation, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, many of you here, and we've been hurt, it's real, by people here or by people out there, but but we find it so difficult to go and talk and resolve and reconcile with that person as the Word of God tells us to do. And the reason we don't is, I've heard it so many times, I don't want to make things worse. Eddie, it's not gonna do any good. That's the cowardly approach of peacekeeping, not peacemaking. Kind of hard, isn't it? You can ignore it. You can ignore them. You can walk away and say nothing to them, although sadly it's too often said to others. But the offense remains and it doesn't just remain, it grows and it festers and it plays out in unhealthy ways in your life and it spills over into the lives of others. In your relationship with others, is there an outstanding conflict with someone and you've been just kind of pushing it aside and you need to face it? Are you a peacekeeper? or a peacemaker in the world of recovery we have this this term you've heard it codependence where someone in your life is is living out self-destructive behavior and it's spilling over and it's hurting others instead of you taking a stand and lovingly confronting their behavior you enabling them in whatever ways in the name of keeping peace it's kind of like you got a little hitler in your life and you're just trying to keep them happy Are you a peacekeeper or a peacemaker? In our community... We should be, we're followers of Jesus. We should be asking, what are we supposed to do with all of the turmoil, all of the stress, all of the crime, all of the fighting, all of the injustice? How do we as followers of Jesus respond? Listen, at the root of what we see in our world are millions and billions of people who do not know Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace, as their Savior. And we as followers of Jesus, as peacemakers, we are to be reconcilers, they're not at peace with God. That's what's wrong. There's a storm inside, and Jesus is the answer to that storm. The gospel in Ephesians 6, isn't it there? Where it's called the gospel of peace. We've been called to bring that message to them. Authentic evangelism, these are not my words, someone else, those else's words. Authentic evangelism is the most effective peacemaking followers of Jesus can do in this world. You may be a peacekeeper by speaking up about things in our world or by even addressing the surface external symptoms. But if your life is not devoted to penetrating lives with the message of Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace, you're not a peacemaker. And it all starts how does this work in my life? When we leave today and someone says, how are you? And you say, fine, are you really? Or is that a lie? And you know it. Is there something in your life you're ignoring which you need to face? I'm trusting the Holy Spirit is is, is speaking to you right now on this. You've been procrastinating with something. You've been suppressing something. You've been pretending it's a hurt. It's a hurt that's been done to you. It's a wrong that you have done. It's a habit. It's a secret. It's an addiction. It's, it's um, whatever sin you may have in your life. What is it in your life that you need to put on the table and though it's painful and though it takes courage needs to be addressed? Or I would ask, To many of you, have you taken the courageous step in confessing Jesus as Lord and and giving your life fully to Him in baptism that you may know and experience Him as the Prince of Peace and the indwelling of His Spirit to produce that peace in your life? That's, That's really where it starts. That's the first step and if you haven't taken that step, Today, I'd love for you to let one of us know that we can share the message of Jesus with you and help you know him in that way. Are you a peacemaker or a keeper? It's the seventh of life's healing choices. Choosing peace. What are choices you need to make And act upon today. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they will be called. Children of God. Oh read Philippians chapter 4. He tells us the first step is prayer. He says he gives us that impossible goal. That's possible. Don't be anxious about anything. But in prayer. Bring it to God. And with thanksgiving. And he says there in that place. Of persistent prayer. God promises to give us a peace that goes beyond all understanding. And so I want us to to start there in prayer. Just, uh, you can pray by yourself and say, God, what does it mean for me starting today to be a peacemaker? Our shepherds are gonna be available to receive you for prayer. If you know someone that you need to give a hug to and go pray with, I would encourage you Do that. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your family. Let's come before God. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we bring before you our lives. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the work that you did in coming to this earth and facing head on those things that were robbing us of our peace. God, as you stand before us as the model through Christ of what it means to be a peacemaker in this moment, Speak to us in prayer. Show us where you're leading and what you're cho- the choices you're leading us to. God, in this moment of prayer, we beg you for that peace. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the East Side Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. Like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 10:40 a.m. As we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.